Great to see you here if you're new to Kings, and great to see you if you're visiting back to Kings, having been away. So great to have you here. My name's Dan. I'm, I'm one of the, uh, the leaders. Uh, do you know there's this uh, rumor that goes around sometimes that Christians don't agree on much? You know, we're always talking about the things that define us as being distinct from those other Christians over there. We worship differently. We dress differently. We believe a certain things very, set of things very passionately, and perhaps other Christians don't share some of those things. And on a day like Easter Day, it's helpful to be reminded, isn't it, that on the major things of the Christian faith, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again, And that whoever believes in him can be saved. Every single Christian in the world believes exactly that thing. And that is truly amazing. And there are Christians all over the world, 2.2 billion of us. We're part of a worldwide family. And some of them are packed into cathedrals. Some of us are packed into old church buildings like this. Some of us are in community centers or halls or rented theaters. Some of us are in homes Some of us are meeting outside. Some of us are meeting in secret because they live in places where they're not free to believe these things and articulate that. But we all believe this thing, that Jesus died, Jesus rose, and that matters today. And it's worth more than anything. And today, I want to answer this question. Jesus is alive, so what? And I'm not going to do a lecture today on why I think the resurrection historically happened, and that's an undisputable fact. There are many, many other people that you could listen to who are much clearer on that and much uh, brighter than me, to be honest. Uh, If you want to watch a YouTube video on that, then uh, you can email me after this, dan at kingschurchedinburgh.org, and I'll happily send you a link. Uh, Gary Habermas is the guy who knows all about this stuff these days, and he can persuade you on that. But what I want to do talk about is this, so what? Here's the question that many people are asking today, and you might be asking today, well, big deal, if Jesus did come back from death, what relevance does that have for my life in 2018 in Edinburgh? We're going to read some verses from part of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, written by the Apostle Paul. And he says, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still still living at the time of writing, that is, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. This is what he says. This is what I received of first importance. I wonder what's important in your life. I, I, I would say every one of us in this room doesn't struggle to answer that question What's important going on in your life right now? There'll be things you'll be thinking about. Everyone knows the importance of a good education. Everybody knows the importance of getting a a job that pays the bills and puts food on the table. Everybody knows about the importance of investing in friendships or marriage, if you're married, to make sure that that works well. In fact, if we were to take a look at your bank account today, 
it would speak of a set of priorities that you hold to in your life. If we were to look at your calendar, if you have one, it would speak of a set of priorities that you have in your life. But sometimes we get so busy with those priorities, those important things, we can resent it when somebody comes in from the outside and says, by the way, I've got something really important that I need you to hear about. I remember a few years ago, uh, when our kids were very young, I was responsible for picking them up from school and uh, after-school club and nursery, four kids, and I had to get them home, get them inside, get food on the table, cook, all of that stuff. And it was, it was always quite a highly stressful part of the week for me. And uh, so I had it time to perfection. I'd pick them up at this time, I'd, it'd take like three hours to get the seatbelts on all of them. And then we'd get home, and it'd be like, out the car, inside, get them settled, cook the tea, get it on the table. This was all happening, going according to plan one day, but then the doorbell rang while I was cooking tea. And I was like, who is this? Even if it's a Jehovah's Witness, I'm not going to talk to them. Anyway, it wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. It, it, was, it was my neighbor, Donald. He's a good neighbor, Donald. And he's smiling, he says, hey, Dan, how are you doing today? I said, doing great, thanks, Donald, just relaxing with the kids, you know. We're just uh, hanging out, family time, that's what we do. And he said, oh, I, said I won't be long, I just wanted to tell you, he said, you'd left your car door open. And I thought, well, that's very sweet of you. Anyway, as I was about to respond to him, I looked over his shoulder at my car, which was just parked outside, and not just one door, but all four doors had been left <laughs> wide open. We live on a residential street, this, this kind of thing would draw attention. And not only the four doors, but the boots from which one child had got out as well was, I mean... No, not only that, but it was parked at an angle on the curb. It looked like it had been involved in a heist and uh, just abandoned. And uh, my good neighbor was saying, hey, Dan, I thought you might want to know something. I was glad he did. And I, I quickly thought on my feet. I said, oh, yeah, I was just coming out with a hoover, just getting some air in the car, got the doors open. Yeah, just thanks so much for your kindness in pointing that out, no problem here. But there was another time when the, the, the school rang me and they said, I'd just done the drop-off for Evie, my daughter, and she said, said hi, is that Mr Hudson? Um, we, we, we've got a toddler in the school and, and, and uh, we, we just wanted to, having talked to your daughter, we think you might have left your toddler behind at the school gate this morning. Again, I was just very, very grateful. And then I said, uh, please, just checking, you haven't rang my wife, have you? And um, fortunately they hadn't. Um, anyway, so... Some things we need to know about because they're important whether we like to know them or not. The Apostle Paul, in his description, one of the simplest descriptions of the gospel you'll ever come across in the Bible, he says, this is of first importance. First. In fact, that was quite a life change for Paul because he never used to think this was important. He never used to think that Jesus dying on a cross and being raised to life was important. In fact, he used to think it was so unimportant that anybody who he found believing in that stuff, he sought to close them down, stop them doing it, throw them in prison at every opportunity because he had the power to do that. Because he thought, I don't want people wasting their life on this stuff. But do you know what changed it for him? It was an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was ascended from the dead and had returned to heaven, took mercy on Paul. And while he was going about his day-to-day -day business, walking along the road one day, Jesus appeared to him. Jesus found him. Jesus said, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? Stop it. That was enough for Paul. He said, I clearly had the wrong priorities. Let's get this right. Now today, here's what's on offer for you and for me. It's an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's to know him. It's to know this Lord who is back from death itself and can be met with today. You can know him. There's an invitation for you today. Paul said, I pass this on to you as of first importance. Why is he doing this? He's saying to every person he could ever lay eyes on, he's saying, this matters. You matter. Your life matters to God. Jesus came back from death for you. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a game changer for humanity. But before he gets into this thing, of the, he doesn't say uh, of first importance that Jesus rose again. He says, of first importance, first of all, that Jesus died for our sin and was buried. So as we begin to look at the good news of the resurrection, we're being asked to understand this, that Jesus came back from physical death. He came back from physical burial in a tomb with a giant stone placed in front of it. And before we understand the good news of the resurrection, we need to understand and connect with the sorrow of what we call Good Friday. When Jesus died, was stretched out on a cross, When we think about Good Friday, it connects us to the very depths and the very worst of human emotions that we can experience. You can't read the accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus without being gripped by the rawness of that. There's a mother, Mary, who it seems has already lost her life partner, Joseph, because he's not there with her. And she's watching her eldest son die in front of her as a criminal, shamed, humiliated. And the cross confronts us with these very real emotions of grief and sorrow and mourning. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Jesus had many friends. He had 12 particular friends. That day was a day of sensational loss for them. He was their bestie. He was the life and soul of the party. He was the one that made social events fun to go to because he always had the right thing to say. He always did the exciting thing at the party. And now they're grieving him. He's gone. And as far as they know, he's not coming back. Maybe you've experienced the loss of somebody who you thought you could never live without. One of those friends was a guy called Peter. And just a few hours earlier, he'd looked Jesus square in the eye and with a big smile on his face and said, Jesus, I will never let you down. And yet he'd denied him, not just once, but three times. I wonder if you've had that experience of life of feeling like you've disappointed other people, been unable to put it right. Or maybe that weight of expectation of feeling like You should have pleased somebody and you did the wrong thing or pleasing God and you haven't done that. There were soldiers there that day who crucified Jesus and on a good day they'd have gone home feeling like they'd done a service to society. We're getting rid of the bad guys, one person at a time, crucifying them on Roman crosses. But You know, that day they looked at him and one of them said what they were all thinking, which is this, we've killed an innocent man. 
I wonder if you've ever had that pang of injustice in your life where you feel like you've done the wrong thing by somebody. There were people who were followers of Jesus who had some control over the situation and they didn't act to help. Nicodemus and Joseph were part of the ruling council who condemned Jesus to death. Perhaps they were there as they were watching him crucified, wishing they'd said more or done more or spoken up. These are very common human experiences where you and I feel like, maybe I could have done better. And the cross meets us in that dark, dark place. But you know where else the cross meets us? Because Paul says he died for our sin. It meets to deal with the worst of our humanity. Our sin. If you uh, have done any archery, particularly if you know the history of archery, if you were to take a bow and arrow and fire at your target and you miss it, historically it's known as a sin. It means to miss the mark, to miss the target. And that's what sin is. It's to, it's to fail, to, to meet the standard that God has set. Not meeting the standard of a perfect and holy God. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the news this week, but um, see that thing about the Australian cricket team? Any cricket fans here? What was their crime? It, it was ball tampering. That's what they're doing. Here's a cricket ball. And isn't it funny, by the way, that pretty much in any area of life, people are allowed to do things and just say, well, this is the reason I behaved this way, and it's okay because, you know, my motive was good. If you try and mess with the rules of sport... Heaven and earth comes down on you like a ton of bricks. There is no forgiveness. There is no ability to be restored. This guy is marked for life. And what did he do? Well, these, these guys. He, he basically took a cricket ball and put it in his pocket. And he rubbed some of the shine off it using sandpaper. Because if you do that to a cricket ball, and then you bowl the ball, it will do something unusual that the batsman won't expect. It will, it will have a, a backswing or something to it. And here's, here's what happens. I used the wrong phrase there. What's it called? Reverse spin. Reverse swing. Okay, thank you. And here's the thing. It doesn't fly straight. It doesn't do what a normal, shiny cricket ball is meant to do. Because it's damaged. This is what sin does to us. When we disobey God, when we live by our own set of rules, it affects us, it damages us, it takes the shine off us. And the result is this, we, we miss the plan of God for our lives. And in doing so, we end up hurting other people. When you miss, you end up firing the arrow into the crowd. Sin damages ourselves. We fail to live in the freedom of bearing God's image that he wants us to. Sin is harmful to others. It creates, in its wake, broken relationships and hurts. But more than that, sin is an offense against a holy God, deserving his justice, deserving his right punishment. We actually like living in a society where justice is served. We're big advocates of justice for other people. But do you know what? There's a God who is just, and he weighs all of our 
behavior. So when it says that Jesus died for our sin, it's making this incredible comment that Jesus received the justice of God for my sin and for your sin, for my failure to obey God and do what was required. Jesus took all of that at the cross. It's saying that Jesus restores broken relationship with God that stops us knowing him. And it's saying this, that the cross, that Jesus is able to remove all of our past hurt and pain and the things that make us not fly straight. He can deal with it. He can make us right. He can make us whole again. He can restore us. Jesus died for our sin. Don't tamper with it. But this is... Where, we, where it takes us to next. He says, on the third day, he rose again. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus didn't remain in the grave. Jesus rose physically, bodily, from the grave to new life. And he walked around the earth for 40 days following his resurrection before ascending back to heaven. The implications of Jesus rising from death are threefold. One is about Jesus, one is about you, and one is about the future. Here's what it says about Jesus, first of all. It says, if you put Jesus against the worst of all human enemies, Jesus wins. Do you know, in some countries, they have capital punishment. We used to have it in this country until 1964. And the idea behind capital punishment, whether you agree with it or not, is this, that the, the, the ultimate price that somebody can pay and the ultimate punishment you can inflict on somebody is to take away their life. It's to remove their freedom to live, their freedom to act. It's to say, this is it, it's final. I guess one of the reasons countries like ours have removed it because we said we, we don't think any human being should have that right over another to take away life, to make that decision for them. But here's the recognition in both of those statements that, that death has a horrible power over the human race that we really, really don't like and is very, very final. So when you take that greatest power... And Jesus, well ahead of his death, he looked up at a temple, which was the prominent building in Judaism, and he says, see that temple? He said, well, knock down this temple, pointing to himself, and I will rebuild it in three days. What was he saying? Kill me, and I'm coming back. What a profound statement to make about yourself. When Peter, the apostle, was preaching after the resurrection, in Acts chapter 2, he talks to his onlookers and he said, you put Jesus to death. Uh, next slide, please. He said, you put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What he was saying is this, it was impossible for death 
to keep a grip on Jesus, the most powerful force in the universe known to human beings. And Jesus just knocks it back. Do you remember, um, how many of you here, here remember Weebles? Okay, yeah, it's kind of people my age and older, really, funnily enough, when you look at that. Weebles were basically uh, old-fashioned toys. They were egg shapes, and they had a weighted base to them and faces painted on them. And here was the idea that they were fun because you could just never knock them over. Every time you pushed them down, they came back up. You couldn't make a, a weeble lie down. The, the, the famous phrase was, weebles wobble, but they don't fall over. Now, I couldn't find a weeble for you today, but what I did found, find was uh, this rugby teaching aid. <laughs> and here's, here's Jesus, right? You've never seen him with a face like that, have you? Um, but Jesus, he, he's angry at death and sin. He's angry at what it's done to the human race. <laughs> but do you know, death and sin, they come at Jesus with all the fury of hell on the cross. They kill him. He takes the punishment for sin. He takes it all. He takes death. He goes into a tomb. But inside that tomb, Jesus says, I lay down my life only to take it back up again. From the deadness of death, death tries to kick Jesus down. Phew. <laughs> uh. it. You see, there's no blow that you can give Jesus <laughs> that he can't recover from. See, Satan, hell, Sin, death, thought on that day, they thought, this is it. We've finished off God himself. But in that moment, God himself said, I've finished with death, sin, and every other power that stands against the human race. And today, this means that Jesus is surely worthy of more admiration, praise, and respect than any other human being that you will ever meet because he's defeated the worst power known to the human race. And all glory and worship belongs to him today. And in Romans 1, it says this. It says, Concerning Jesus, the Son, descended from David according to the flesh, he was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. What it's saying is this, the resurrection shows us something about Jesus that perhaps we hadn't appreciated before. Do you remember The Matrix? Have you seen that movie, The Matrix? If you, if you haven't, it's, it's quite old now. But Anyway, the, the central figure in it, Neo, he spends the whole movie coming to the terms with the fact that he is the one. He's the one chosen to source out the problems of the world and all the things that are going wrong in the Matrix, which is this kind of made-up world. And for him, he comes to a realization late on in the film that he can do anything, that he has power against any enemy. And there's all these Agent Smiths everywhere. Forgive me if you haven't seen the film. And, there, and there's that moment in the film where he suddenly realizes that nothing can stop him. And you've got various of these enemy guys coming at him, 
bringing their best punches, bringing all their stuff to him. And Neo is just like, hmm. He's just kind of just knocking them back, just dead easy like that, because he's the one. He came to a realization. Now, Jesus never came to a realization he was the one. He always knew he was the one. He always knew that he was the one who was going to conquer death and hell and sin. But what was revealed through the resurrection was revealed to us, that he can do that kind of thing. And let's just imagine for a moment that Jesus had stayed in the grave. Let's imagine he'd said to his disciples, you know, I'm going to go to the cross for your sin. I'm going to pay the punishment for you. And then he'd died and we'd never seen him again. We'd have been left with this question saying, well, I wonder if it was good enough. I wonder if his sacrifice pleased the Father. But because he rose again, we know for sure he's the Son of God with power who is able to forgive our sin and able to give us new life. So that's the first implication. It's an implication about Jesus saying that he's worthy of all of your praise, all of your adoration, because nothing can hold him down. Here's the second thing. Man. That didn't happen in rehearsals. Okay. Second implication of the resurrection this is about you. It's about you. See, Jesus' resurrection from the dead has massive implications on you. Paul, on another occasion, said, if we, Christians, have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here's the phrase being used to describe of anybody who puts their trust in Jesus, that they are not just the believer in Jesus. We're not just observers. We're not just saying, thank you, God, that happened 2,000 years ago. For anybody who believes in Jesus, the power of the resurrection becomes a reality in their life today. Sometimes at the end of a church service, we'll say to people, we've got a Bible here, and we'd love to give you this as a free gift. To anybody who hasn't got a Bible, we'd love to give that to you. We might do that today. And that's a wonderful gift because it's the Word of God. But God goes one step more. When you become a Christian, he says, I'm going to give you my resurrected self to live in you forever. Jesus lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that gives you power to change, power to live. When I was um, 17 years old, I, pra- I passed my driving test. Uh, I don't know if uh, you've had that experience, but it's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? And the first thing I did when I passed my driving test was to get in my mum's Ford Fiesta with its 997cc engine and get out on the dual carriageway and drive as fast as I could. Because I'd never been in a car without anybody else in it before. I thought, this is, this is what I'm going to do. So I got on that dual carriageway, and it was downhill. So I was, I was just getting faster and faster. I was going like 30 miles an hour, 35, 40, <laughs> 45. The engine was beginning to strain at this point. But I could see a slower-moving car in front. I think it was a BMW or something. And I thought, right, I'm moving to the outside lane. We are overtaking, guys. And uh, to myself, I was saying that. And, uh, and I got in that outside lane. 
And I, I overtook, I was climbing 60, 61 miles an hour, 62. We were downhill, downhill, 63, 64. I think I got up to 69 miles an hour, and then it started to go uphill again. And it went 68, 67, 65, 62. Meanwhile, the guy in the left-hand lane just casually overtook me on the left. See, I didn't have enough power. Ever feel like that in your life? I don't have enough power. I can't change. Maybe you've heard that said, or you've said that to yourself. I just seem stuck here. Well, here's the good news. The resurrected Jesus lives inside you. Does he have power? You bet he does. He is all-powerful. And the same power that enabled him to overcome the greatest enemy, death, is also at work in your life to help you live a life that pleases God. So here's what happens for the Christian. When you sin, when you blow it, you feel like, oh no, I've been knocked down again. What happens? You get back again. See, Jesus brings you back. His victory is complete in your life. He brings you back from every failure and he takes you from strength to strength in your Christian life. The resurrection means that you can walk free from addiction. It means you can walk free from past hurt that's been bothering you for years. It means you can walk free from past sense of shame, of things you know you shouldn't have done that have hurt other people and been damaging to you and have disobeyed God. The resurrection enables us to breathe the air of freedom that God intends for us. You know, um, when a baby's in its mother's womb, it gets all of its oxygen through the umbilical cord, through that amazing thing that happens in a mother's womb. But while that baby is growing in its mother's womb, it's growing these lungs because it was always born to breathe air. And when that baby is born and the umbilical cord is still there, the doctors cut the thing and, and if necessary, they give the baby a smack on the bum to make it start screaming and breathing to enable those lungs to start working because the baby was born to receive air into its lungs. You weren't born to be dependent on an old way of life, to get your fixes and your highs. You were born to breathe the freedom of the gospel that Jesus intends for you. Today, the resurrection gives you freedom. Here's the third implication of the resurrection. So it's about Jesus, it's about you. And thirdly, it's about the future. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul says, you know, if it's only in this life that we've hoped in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So that kind of, punches the idea of saying, well, it's fine to just believe what you want to believe in this life because that's all that matters. Perhaps you can find yourself saying that today. He says, no, actually, the resurrection matters mainly because of the future. But there's a time coming when all of us will stand before a just and holy God. In fact, we're going to stand before Jesus. Acts 10 says that Jesus, who died and rose again, he will be the judge that one day we will face. And how wonderful it will be on that day for Christians when they come before him 
and realize that the one who is judging them is no other, no other than the one who also died for their sin and rose again for their new life. But there's a choice for us all to make as to what we will do about this Jesus who will one day judge us based on his standard, not ours. And the promise that anybody who trusts in Jesus is for eternal life. Anybody born since Adam onwards has been born in sin, has been born mortal. But anybody who believes in Jesus tastes immortality forevermore. And the Bible promises us one more thing for those who trust in Jesus. It says, one day our bodily remains will be resurrected by Jesus to be with him forever. And that we're not going to float on a cloud with him. We're going to have glorified human bodies just like his. You know, when he rose from the dead and they said, he, he said to disciples, touch me. See that I'm not a ghost. Eat. He cooked them breakfast. Well, this is the future that awaits for you and I if we trust in Jesus that even our broken bodies are going to be made glorious. Some of you today are facing sickness and pain in your bodies. We're praying for God to heal in this life, but also we're, we're believing this, that one day God is going to make it glorious. He's going to make your life glorious. Paul finishes those verses just with a list of names, and I love it. He said, he was raised on the third day. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. We could run through all of their names. He says, then he appeared to 500 other people, brothers and sisters, at the same time. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. I love this about Jesus, that when he comes back from death, although the thing he dearly wanted to do most in the world was return to his Father in heaven, with whom he'd enjoyed fellowship from eternity past. But what does Jesus do when he comes back from the dead? He takes several weeks just going around people saying, just want you to know that I'm alive. <laughs> and today, Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, he returned to heaven, he sent the Spirit, he wants you to know that he's alive and he wants to encounter you personally. And this is the story of so many Christians that the darkness of the tomb is replaced by the glory of new life. For the sick person, they get healed. For the, dark, the darkened mind, they, they get illumination. For those who are confused, they receive clarity. For those in despair, they re receive hope. For those who feel like captives, they get made free. And today, the resurrected Jesus can do it for you as he's done it for so many of you here today.